What's up, man? What's happening? Happy Friday. Yeah, thank God it's Friday, to be honest. You get uh, you get all your trucks? No, no. In the middle of the day, podcast is not ideal, but uh, we'll make it work. Uh, so we always, we kind of just go live, you know, whenever, whenever our guests can is kind of our uh, MO for our podcast. We don't really have hey, some uh, time. They can fit us into their schedules, so we can definitely fit them into ours. Oh, 100%. Well, before we get started, I just want to sponsors uh hd ships uh the best agent program or one of the best agent programs out there um they I see their logo on the bottom of our screen um they do sponsor the show and um like i said we weren't looking for sponsors but you know if there's a you know, good business out there you know we like what they have to do um we were open to it um and yeah like i said they're a great agent program um you know, high splits 24 7 support um yeah, i highly recommend them yeah. All right. Uh, a little background on John, maybe from you, since you know him uh, much better than I do. Yeah, no, definitely. So John owns a cold storage and we'll go in his background, but he owns a cold storage in Chicago. He has for about 20 years. Um, I shipped out of his facility a lot. So I've talked to talked to John a lot. Um, he also is a small shipper in the sense that he's involved in the grocery restaurant, you know, retail business. Um, you know, around Chicago. Um, but mainly what we're going to talk to him about is this uh, cold storage. So, yeah, I think over all the years of running Reefer Free um, until today, I've never really thought about like cold storages as a dispatcher. You just kind of don't think about it much. So, yeah, no, definitely. Well, uh, it should be, uh, should be fun. And uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's bring John in. Hey, John. Hi, guys. Hey. How's it going, John? Good. We got the surface up and running. Yes. You, stay, you, you staying warm there in Chicago? Yeah, it's nice here. Now We're we got you on full screen. No, no phone, phone screen. Exactly right. <laughs> but we got to get rid of that phone anyways. Well, um, yeah, like I was, we were just telling the viewers, um, you've been around this game for a long time. You've owned a cold storage for you know 20 years. Uh, really knowledgeable in this kind of uh you know, in this field. Um, so yeah, if you want to maybe just start, give everyone kind of sure. a little bit of your background, uh, how you got into it, you know, anything from there. Okay. Well, I was born in 1962 and my mom, no, I'm just kidding. It all started years ago when I actually was at another place um, when I had a partner way back when. And uh, there were trucks that would come into me constantly. And I was always dealing with freight because I dealt with rail cars um, in my previous, in my twenties and thirties, bringing stuff in from overseas and having a, a dry warehouse. And so when I got into owning, um, a seafood business, there were times that, uh, truckers would come in and say like, Hey, is there any way that we can leave two, three, four stops with you? And you can go run them for us because we can go get our, we'll miss our backhaul if we have to sit in town for a day. And that just grew from that into, Hey, can you just like bring a half a truck and store it here? And, you know, we'll either have you ship it LTL yourself or we'll have someone come back, grab it and, and bring it ourselves. And that's kind of what it grew out of. And so um, we do that. We do a lot of cross docking here as well. So it, typically we do cross docking out of Virginia, out of, um, out of Boston and out of Florida quite a bit because it, we're in Chicago. So it's a great central hub. So people can bring their stuff and leave it and walk away and go get do what they're doing. And then they either have their own trucks they've hired uh, to grab it or they have us do it. So it's it's been good for all these years. And I have a big enough space because the truth is when I was in my last space, my entire freezer was a 48-foot trailer. And working an entire company out of a 48-foot trailer that was a plug-in uh, standby trailer was very, very difficult. So um, I would spend... Uh, have two drivers spend about five or six hours a day at a cold storages waiting around while they got the three or fours ready and uh, decided that when I got a place, I'd get one big enough that I could store my stuff. And it was, and um, it was actually a bigger space than I wanted. And the landlord, um, I was the first one moving in the building where I'm at. And the landlord said to me, it's, I know it's too big, um, but we'll work that out, and I'm sure you'll fill it. And within about three months, I had solicited quite a few people and filled it. Um, and it's pretty much stayed full ever since, which is going on 20 years. Wow. Some days wow. it's over full. 
<laughs> so do you guys ship like you have any of your own assets or are you just storing? I do. I have my own assets. I have a full full line seafood company or um, I've been that's the primary business that I have is a seafood company where I sell to grocery and restaurant. Um, I run uh, anywhere from six to eight straight trucks uh, a day myself. Oh, okay. So you use the facility like for your personal personal loads and also. Oh, for sure. Know, I use at this point, I probably use about a third of it because um of the way we buy uh, but i use two-thirds for goods of others for whether it's cross stocking whatever like um when matt uh, was running stuff out of here that business was really pretty easy it would come in like on tuesday and by friday a lot of it was leaving already they just needed somewhere to park it consolidate it and the consolidation business is pretty good because it, it helps everybody uh involved because then you don't have you know, if you go to a warehouse and you've got seven trucks and you could cut it down to three trucks just by consolidation somewhere, it makes it a lot easier. And we try to be pretty efficient. I let people release same day. So um, as Matt will let you know, like I had one guy, uh, we'll call him Mr. M for right now. And Mr. M would at six o'clock in the morning say, I need X to go somewhere and get picked up by eight. And it was never really a problem because it was it's, it's just easy freight. There's not a lot of pick and pack. It's all pallet, pallet, pallet. And when you've got, you know, people like that, I've got a couple of guys now that do that. They'll tell me, hey, we want to bring you 10. We want to pick up 10 or we want to bring you eight and pick up six. And so they just send me the paperwork overnight. And generally I get it at 435 in the morning. And by nine o'clock, we're making that switch in and out. And wow, so you starting your days mad early. That's like uh, manual labor hours, man. <laughs> How big is your staff now, uh, now, John? I know you have your you own. I run anywhere between 20 and 25 people. That includes processors because, like I said, I have the seafood company, so they're in the back, whether it's scaling, gutting, filleting, packing, repacking, processing fish. So I've got those guys. I've got the drivers. I've got order pickers um, and then uh, a couple of managers and a, and a couple of people in the office with you know support staff type things. So you guys are buying in bulk and then like processing and packing yourself. Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of, I mean, like the biggest couple items I sell, the biggest one in particular is catfish. And in 2017, catfish went to the USDA to be inspected. And a lot of people that were processing it said they don't want to do that. It's kind of a hassle. You got a lot of rules. You have to have a whole separate hassle plan and follow a lot of different rules. And they basically come in every day to inspect what you're doing. Um, so a lot of people opted out. I had always sold catfish, didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. And for the most part, it really isn't. Um, you just have to keep up with what you're doing, like everything else. I mean, if you're a HACCP trained people, they know what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing. It, you just have to like normally, you know, unless you're in the meat, if you're in the meat business, I mean, those guys for a hundred years have always had the the deal of, you know, inspectors going to be there all day watching everything you do, you know. So for us, it's once a day. Uh, typically, they're here anywhere from, say, 15 minutes to an hour. And then they're going to their other tasks. Um, there's so only that happen every every single meat type of plant. Like that seems like a lot of legwork for for them. Say that again. Does that happen at every single plant that processes like meat of some sorts? Like that well, seems meat, like a lot. Yeah, meat. Uh, yeah, if you're if you're packing and processing or slaughtering meat, I mean, they've got USDA there all the time. I mean, we don't. They're they might be in an eight hour house where that person sits and eight or ten whatever sits there all day and watches like on the processing line. A lot of the inspectors that come here have had that job where they're in the slaughterhouses. Um, and they tell me, you know, that's, you know, that, that they stand there like all day and watch and they inspect and stamp the carcasses and whatever it is, because that's what they do in terms of fish. It's, you know, it is what it is. It's catfish is the only seafood fish item that the USDA looks at. Um, I have my own thoughts on that, which, you know, yeah, yeah. I just made my own thoughts about yeah, that. It's, it's, you know, it's, it was a political thing back in the day, um, but it, 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 that's the law we have to live with. So until they change it, that's what we're doing. But in the beginning, it was good because a lot of people opted out. So it gave me some opportunities to process, um, you know, for people that said, I'm not going to do it for myself. But there are people, obviously, everywhere that go into the radar and whether they get caught or not is, is you know, subject to the. USDA having enough people or the FDA have enough people to actually see what's going on and take care of it. But yeah, if you do box I mean. in, box out, and you don't touch it, you're fine. 
Yeah, you have no, nothing about how many people they would need to, to be able to go to every single warehouse every day. Well, they do. I mean, they they come here. I mean, there's in the circuit that I'm in, I'm only in one circuit. I think there's four or five in my my, you know, in my area in the northwest uh, suburbs of Chicago. But in the circuit I have, the, the inspectors have four or five plants that they go to uh, four, five, six every day. So, you know, it's kind yeah. of what it is. No, it's a it's a it's a moving part business. Do you mainly do you mainly just store seafood, or are you uh, storing other uh, anything? I actually products? have a license to store any meat product. I have a refrigerated warehouse license uh, from the state of Illinois, uh, which covers uh, beef, pork, poultry, anything, all of all of the above. It just made sense because then anybody that wants to bring stuff, I don't have to worry like can I or can't I? I just can. Yeah, no, definitely. And what kind of goes into um, just as some of the brokers, carriers listening? I mean, what kind of goes into you know when you take it off the truck? You know how you organize it and keep things you know separate. Um, you know, in stage. You want to talk a little bit about you know that just kind of the organization? Sure. Um, you know, the cold store. Well, every, every, we 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 try more than ever now to have people send us bills of lading of what's actually coming in at least a day or two before we create what's called the placards so that we know what's coming in and we assign them numbers so that when they come off the truck, they're counted. Um, we try to count everything. Uh, if it's, it's, if it's a crosstalk, it's going to be a, a subject to, you know, an STC. And because we're not going to dig in inside of something that says there's 39 pieces that's leaving within the next, you know, hour, that's just all a straight crosstalk and it's pallet in pallet out, but anything that's being stored, we count, we sign an a lot number, we enter in the computer, and we send whoever the customer is a copy of that lot number with the quantity they received on the bill of lading that was provided by the trucking company that got it. And then we put it in the freezer. Obviously, the space uh, depends on how organized it can or can't be, but we try to keep all of people's stuff grouped together as much as possible. And then, uh, as an example, they'll call me the day before or even the same morning and say, hey, I need to get X pallets, and they send me mostly a release email that says i want to get you know like one guy all his pallets that comes in are all different case quantities even within the same item he could have a 46 and then a 51 and a 39 or whatever it is um so he'll just say give me one pallet my guy will pull one pallet count those pieces and then write that on a, uh, a sheet for me and then i'll enter that many pieces and when they come to pick it up they'll they'll have to actually count them the only time we don't have them count Physically here when they're leaving is if it's a um, if it's a sealed load and then we count it and then we just throw it on the truck because basically truck drivers, they don't really want to have to be responsible for counting it. And once we seal it, their responsibility disappears. So we take a picture now of truck empty to make sure that it was clean when it got here. We take a picture of it loaded so we can show how it was loaded and how it left here. And then we take a picture of the, the, the back doors closed seal on. So we have those three pictures for every load that leaves. That way, if someone says, hey, was it sealed? Yes, here's the picture. Here's the seal number. So that there have been times where someone gets there and they go like, hey, the seal number on this doesn't match. We actually have the photo of the seal number. And yeah. if it doesn't match, that means somewhere along the line, there's a problem. Yeah, we started, making, we started making all of our drivers take pictures of seals. And if the load doesn't require a seal or they're not given a seal, every driver carries around seals and we have the picture. We put our own right. seal, even if they don't want to. I, you're right, I keep hundreds of seals here. Yeah, I mean, I, it's if, like 50 cents just to save yourself a lot of headaches. Yeah, if we're, but if we're, if we're not required to, like some people will say like, I'm like, the only way we seal it is if it's a final destination, like you're coming here and then you're going to the customer. But if you're gonna break my seal, I can't put a seal on it because the person you're going to to get more on that truck to further deliver, isn't going to pay attention to my seal. And then by the time the paperwork gets to wherever you're going, it can't be a, they broke that seal to put on this seal. So that's why we do a driver's count. That way they know what they have and do it that way. But if they need a seal, like for themselves, I'll be happy to give them one. I think that's important in avoiding, avoiding claims. Like have you had situations where, you know, carriers will come back and be like, Oh, this wasn't secured or this wasn't sealed. And you have all the pictures, you know, for potential you know, right. claim oh, situations. Right. Over the years, it, it's happened. It's very, it's very rare because most of the times, I mean, we, we ask people how they want it loaded, but we, my guys have been doing it a long time. So they know, right. Like some people want it where they want, 
you know, two in the two in the nose, and then one, 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 two across, two across, because they got to spread their weight because that's a consideration, right? Because we all know that it's whatever eighty-eight thousand pounds, but it can't be sixty-six thousand pounds on the front and nothing on the rear. So there's all that, right? And then they have to make sure that their tandem's are in the right position, and that we don't want them to go to a scale and all of a sudden it's a three thousand dollar fine, or they got to turn around and come back at eight o'clock at night and say, hey. The whole load needs to be rearranged. We don't like doing that. So we kind of take a look and see how much weight. It's not my product. So I really don't pay attention to all of what it is. But at the at the end of the day, I have to have some knowledge of what that is to make sure that they're not, you know, they're not coming back. Once you leave, you know, go. I think it's important <laughs> to bring bring up because there's a lot of there was a post on LinkedIn earlier today and seen a lot of people talking about a lot of these facilities right now are having difficulty with loading overweight trucks have a lot of dock workers that don't have experience you know having a lot of a lot of issues i mean how important is it for you to have you know a, a good staff to you know to prevent oh, it totally is important i mean here's here's an example if you've got freight that someone brought to me and it's more wobbly than not right it's kind of loose so when you load it back on a truck you really don't want to spread them to the walls because if that i mean they're air ride trailers but they're still going to shimmy and shake and then they'll fall to the middle so what we try to always do is if we have something that's like that, or most of the time anyway, you take like, and you st stagger them to the left, stagger them to the right. So two to the left wall, two to the right wall, two to the left, two to the right. And they kind of hold much better amongst themselves, right? And then you make sure that the driver has a load lock to put on there. And then, you know, there are times that we say to people, you have a load lock. They're like, no, we don't. I'm like, well, then, you know. Just sign a paper saying I don't have a load lock because the responsibility of the driver is to make sure they have the equipment they need to secure the load once it's on their truck. So as as somebody that loads trucks, um, would you say that straps and load bars are sufficient? Like are straps sufficient compared to load bars, or would you say you would have to have load bars? You know what? I don't know. You know, most of the time the rail on the strap is low. It's low, low against the pallet. So is it really going to give you the height that you need to hold something that's high that might fall over? It might, I don't know. Some trucks probably have two rails. Um, I like load bars better because I think they, they work better. And then you can always take a pallet if you need to, and you can either put one up the middle to hold them from shimmying across, or you can put two pallets behind and put the load bar behind a set of pallets. And then it gives you like an extra wall up there. If you want to do that. You know, it's yeah, I mean, just over all my years. I mean, I've only been rejected, I think, once or twice um, because usually, you know, you'll ask, do I need straps or low or if they say low bars, you say, oh, are straps going to be OK? Usually they say, yeah, sure. And I mean, 99 percent of the time, drivers only carry straps around. So. Right. Most, oh. most of the people that come in here have load locks. I would say 95 yeah. percent. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know if I ever had a driver have load bars that wasn't me telling him to go buy them for one specific load. Oh, well, that's... What do you think about makeshift uh, makeshift walls? I forget if we did this out of your facility. Uh, MM that we were talking about earlier tried to do a, a makeshift wall with fresh... What about frozen. so that you can have frozen in the front and fresh in the back? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know what? They, they they do work, but they don't work. I mean, it depends. I mean, how long is it going to really be on the truck? If you're talking short term, you're talking seven, eight, nine hours. I don't think they're a horrible idea. But if you're if if you're frozen really needs to be a lot. Most of the frozen loads that leave out of me, people say to me, even though it's not my freight, once again, how cold should it be? I'm like, well, you really need to check with your shipper. But I recommend minus 10 because no one's going to complain about minus 10. If you go to plus 10 and it's 100 degrees outside and you open your doors, plus 10 is going to go to 20 really quickly. So if you start at minus 10, you at least have the advantage of the doors opening because where you go, people might say like, okay, open your doors and they let you sit for an hour. Well, that's a problem. <laughs> so I don't think that um, – I don't think that if it's a long – like it's oh, like you're, you're overnight or two nights or whatever, like you know, to go like from here to Texas or something, like and it's going to take a day and a half. You're fresh. If you put it down to minus 10, your fresh might get frozen. Um, there are other things that people make, like they make pallet blankets to try to keep that. I have a company that used to bring them to me and the top two layers of everything were always frozen every single time. They had the blankets on them, but they still froze because they ran the rest of it at minus 10. So. Yeah, I mean, that brings me to a question because I was thinking about this when he told me who our guest would be for today. Um, my only experience with like refrigerated rooms 
is I used to work in a coffee shop in Canada called Tim Hortons. It's like Dunkin' Donuts, but in Canada. And uh, we had a huge walk-in walk-in freezer. And I remember having to like put my coat on to go like grab some stuff from there. I mean, like, is the warehouse all one temperature? Is there separate no. rooms? In mind, I have well, I have a processing room that runs at about 37, 38. Then I have a, a, a cooler where product is held, and that runs anywhere from like 34 to 37. And then I have the rest of the hallways and stuff that are whatever it is outside, it is there. So if it's 80 degrees outside, it's 80 there. If it's 30 below zero outside, it's going to be 30 below zero there <laughs> unless somebody flips the heater on and then it really doesn't do that much because it's kind of open. But in the freezer, we run generally between minus five and minus 10. Yeah, so you'd be in there with like full clothing on working, huh? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, my guys wear the refrigerator, you know, refrigerator clothing, whether it's the coveralls, the jackets, the hats, uh, the face covers, all of that. Yeah. No, it might be warmer uh, inside there than outside this time there of year. There are times. Yeah. In Chicago, there are times that they go in the freezer to warm up. It's kind of a crazy thing. <laughs> Yeah, man, I'm, I'm lucky, man. I used to use, I lived in Canada, Toronto my whole life. And uh, it's like always minus 20, minus 30 out there. And um, I, it got cold enough where I live now to be able to use my my outside balcony as a fridge, you know, put my drinks out there and they're still cold. <laughs> I'm reminiscing on using the outdoors as a, as a fridge. Well, I wanted to talk about, because John and I have talked about this a lot, but I think a lot of brokers and carriers sometimes think that they can, you know, ignore, you know, the cold storage or the warehouse because they're not their customer and they don't kind of understand, you know, how it affects the effect on you. You want to maybe touch on that a little bit, John, you know, if you're trying to get a hold of a broker or carrier, they don't answer you and, you know, how that can kind of affect your day and, you know, your business operation. Well... Let's get real. Communication is the key to doing all of this. If you don't have it, you can't do it. So I give most of it a college try to see what it is that needs to be accomplished. And if people are uncooperative and they need their freight moved, they'll either have to answer the phone, get a hold of somebody or it won't move. You know, uh, it used to be where it was like somebody would call and say, you know, our driver's running four hours late. And I'd be like, okay. And I would ask somebody, you know, stay and we'll load them. Now it's more difficult. Now you have to pay people to stay. Then nobody wants to be the, hey, don't worry. I'll just take care of it. So now people get a charge. They don't really like that, but it is what it is. There are places I know of that um, if you do a same day, uh, they get like $300, which I think is kind of crazy. Uh, I myself went to one of them around the corner from me and, said, hey, I need to pick this up. Nobody mentioned anything. When my driver got there, they said, yep, yeah, it's $300 because you wanted it today and you gave us the order today. I'm like, well, I bought it from somebody and they gave you the order today. They had the order yesterday. And they said, well, that's too bad. It's $300. Um, I try to stay in the $150, $200 range. I'm not really – if somebody communicates and says, listen, like the, the, the way the whole thing started years and years ago was a driver got sick. He had a load of product. And he got sick and he said, I, I can't make my deliveries. You know, can I just leave them with you and have you do whatever? And I said, sure, no problem. And that's kind of how it started. So if people like are under the weather or during the pandemic, it was pretty bad. Like I didn't even want people in the building. So it was easier to just say, if you're you're late, whatever, we'll just take care of it. It's it's not going to be a problem. You know, like you're not feeling well, like don't don't come inside, open your doors, like leave the paperwork in the back of your truck. We'll take care of all of it. You just go do whatever you're doing and I'll call whoever I need to call and get it all figured out. That kind of thing. But when people don't communicate, it makes it hard. You know, if people don't have the right information, especially with crosstalks. If someone's bringing something to me and they don't tell me who's picking it up, it's going to go into a bin. And then it's kind of a no man's land of who's supposed to get it. Um, I have a couple of really great companies that I work with that are very consistent. And we found a, a, a part on their form and they write down who's picking it up. So whether it's a guy going to California or a guy going to uh, Minnesota or a guy going back, to, you know, across to Iowa or even into Boston, it says who's picking it up. Then I know I put it in their slot. They show up. They say, hey, I'm here to get. And we grab all of their paperwork. And it could be four, five, six, seven orders that we've consolidated for them. And then, you know, they're good to go and everything goes smoothly. I've got one customer that refuses for whatever reason to put down who's picking it up next. And as an example, on Monday, it went into the, the, the pile and somebody came and it wasn't in the right bin where it would have been. 
And then two days later, like, why didn't you give him this freight? I'm like, where on this paperwork does freight away? Because then there's a liability issue. We don't want to have liability where none really existed because someone didn't follow through. Have you ever had that happen where someone picks up the wrong the wrong freight because of you know disorganization? A hundred thousand percent. No. What happened was is there's two people and they had the same name. One is in Chicago, one is in Minnesota. So when they came in and they said it, uh, unfortunately, the person who was taking care of them said, oh, you're going to this person. And they grabbed the freight and they put it on the truck. And then the other person called and said, hey, I had stuff dropped off there yesterday. I'm going to come get it. And it turned out that it was in Minnesota having a vacation. <laughs> so it, 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 it was a kind of a pain, but we ended up finding a trucking company to bring it back. It was a frozen product, so it wasn't a huge deal. It was just two days late and cost a few hundred dollars to get it back here. So, yeah, Kind of about that, about finding trucking companies to solve these problems. I don't think a lot of brokers and carriers you know, realize, you know, talking about communication, that, I mean, as a cold storage owner, you get a lot of customers reaching out to you for looking for referrals for trucking companies of you know, who to use. Um, you know, it's, it's good to have good relationships with, you know, cold storage owners. You pretty much talk to a lot of companies, a lot of people in the industry, you know, pretty much all the time, right? I, I, I do, but I have a very narrow window of who I use anymore. Um, I use, you know, some of the, the more major guys that have been out there for 25 years, because once you have an established route and they do certain work for you a certain way, you know how it's going to go. Like, like when we buy stuff and bring it out of Boston or New Jersey, you know, we've got a couple of good companies that will make multiple picks for us. Um, their rate is the same for doing that. And then they bring it all to us. They get it scheduled. They know that when they show up here and they've got a seven o'clock appointment by like eight o'clock, they're going to be done. We try, I try never to make people wait when as an owner of a company that, that has trucks that go on the street, I understand making people wait. I don't like when my drivers wait. I don't want to make other people wait. That's why the communication is so important. Um, like I even have people that bring stuff off the rail. I had someone the other day and they called and said, Hey, we want to bring something in on, on Wednesday. And I said, okay, we can do that. Nine o'clock. Everything's fine. Then they called and said that for some reason they were short one day and would have had to pay demerage for it sitting at the rail. Is there any way to bring it in Tuesday? I said, yeah, just be here by 1230. And it they were here by 1230. So if you have the communication and I do work for them every six weeks, so it's easy for me to know who they are, that they're not going to be like, you know, the, there's all the years of the, the, the chassis had a flat, they had to change it. They couldn't get the box loaded correctly. Traffic was horrible. Then they had a blowout. I mean, there's 22 excuses for everything. I always say to them, just tell me the truth. Like, if you're really not going to be here till five in the afternoon, tell me because I can find a way to make that happen. But if, if you, you don't know, you can't. If you, you can't tell me at two that it's going to be three and at three, four and at four, five and five, six, you know, you'll get the full the full wrath of the expense that you really don't want to pay. <laughs> Hey, sorry for that, guys. I just had to make a call. But I think it's the perfect time because we had just talked about this uh, with the last guest about, you know, dispatchers and carriers just being honest about their ETAs. And, you know, a lot of shippers will help you out if you just tell them the truth. So. Right. It makes life a lot easier because then, like, if I – if like, there's a, there's times that I need to go run out of here for two hours, right? Not often, but there are. And if I sit and wait and wait and wait, and then I'm waiting for three or four hours when I could have gone and – taking care of whatever it was I needed to, then I'm going to be upset with it. And, and then, at the end of the day, any shipper or receiver that stays for a truck extra is already doing them a massive favor on their gross for the week on, on everything. It usually makes it so we can get to our next load. And I always tell, you know, dispatchers, like, just, just be honest to people. Like, you know, if you tell the guy your ETA is 7 PM, you tell him 5 PM, then you tell him six, he's just going to tell you, okay, I'm going home at six. And that's it. Right. It's a, it's a small world too. I mean, word, word spreads. I mean, like, like I was kind of hinting at, I mean, as a cold storage owner, you deal with a lot of different companies. So, I mean, you have a lot of companies and people with store food calling you like, Hey, I need a carrier to do X, Y, Z, or do you, what's your experience with X, Y, Z. I mean, a lot of these companies, you know, trust you know, your opinions on, you know, who to use and, you know, things of that nature too. You know, Right. I try not to give anybody a bad shake, but there are a couple that if someone says, hey, I'm going to use this person, um, I will say, well, they're not welcome in my place. 
Yeah. You know, reefer reefer communities are already small. Chicago communities are already small. Yeah. Now you put the two together. I mean, I'm sure you're gonna see a lot of the same names day in and day out. I I've actually in the last, I don't know, a couple of months, twice had to go because the person ran out of hours. They should have been here, but they parked somewhere else like two miles away. Got in my car, drove over there and said, Listen, you need to be at my place. And they looked at me and said, Well, I have three more hours, I can't move. And I said, but why didn't you come to my place and park there? I didn't want to. But yet I still have to make sure that the freight that's on the back of that trailer, it was only a few hundred pounds, gets off that truck and gets to where it needs to go because the person that has hired me to take that freight from them and, and further carry it needed it. It's not like it's that optional. So I actually found the guy, woke him up. He told me, you know, I'm stuck here for three hours. And I said, well, good. Your truck can't move, but your feet can I'm going to send one of my trucks. I sent one of my straight trucks over there, backed up to his truck, took the 300 pounds, whatever it was, and brought it back to my place so I could cross it because it was going an hour and a half away to a guy that needed it to further deliver it two and a half, three hours away. So, you know, there's a lot of that stuff that goes on. I mean, I used to I used to be more willing to do that. I did it this couple of times because the person and I are very close, and I said, I'll go find it, and I'll make sure it happens. And so, but there's times now I used to never leave. I used to say, I'll be there the whole, whatever, until it's done. But I don't do that anymore. Like if you tell me five o'clock and it's five 30, we're fine. But if it's going to be eight o'clock, I'll see you in the morning. And if you miss your appointment on the other end and you don't get your back call going the, the next day, that, that can't be on me. That's on you. Yeah. I mean, I think the first time that I had that happen to me, um, I don't know. I would say it was my first six months, eight months uh, in the industry. And I had sent my driver somewhere and they ended up at a job site where we, they brought in two box trucks one by one to unload us into different box trucks. And it was just so like interesting idea to me, you know, like that, that can even be done. And I've seen it over the years, many, many more times, but it still always gets me, you know, like that's just like some idea you have to think about and you can't just, you know, imagine that happening until you see it. Well, appointments too are getting more and more difficult because as much as I do have the storage, I actually buy product by the load and sell it by the load. And so if it comes in, if it comes in somewhere else, I've got to do the, I don't want to bring it from where I bought it from. Like say I bought it like in LA, I don't want to bring it to LA then to me and then to the final destination because that's a, a double drop. I don't need that, but getting it scheduled where I can actually get to somewhere and pick it up on time and then get an appointment where I can drop it off. That, that has become more difficult with, I don't know, about 80% more difficult because of coordinating both. You know, four or five months ago, I had it where uh, I was somewhere in town here. I'd prefer not to say names, but I was somewhere in town here. I had a nine o'clock appointment and I had uh, a 1230 delivery appointment. Same city, same everything. It should have been clockwork, right? You go in at 930, it's only three miles. You pick up the full load, you bring it. At two o'clock in the afternoon, they still didn't have the truck loaded. So where I was bringing it to said, we're sorry, we're out of time. Can't bring it. The people where I was getting loaded said, we'll be done in an hour. So they finished the truck. Now, what do I do with it? Because the driver said, I can't sit with it for two days because that was the next appointment we could get. So what has to happen? I'm glad I have a cold storage. We brought it here. We stripped it. We threw it in my freezer. And then two days later, I had to hire another truck to go and drop it off. Whatever that is, four blocks away. Did the cold storage start with a B? Yeah, of course. <laughs> and we both, I think we both know who, who that is. Yeah, but you know what? In the, in the past th two, three, four weeks, five weeks, they've been much better about things. That's good. Good to yes. hear. Because I, I, I noticed that can happen probably a lot. I mean, you have carriers reach out to you that are at XYZ facility that we both know, and they get stuck there for eight hours. They but, miss a lot, but a lot of times, right. But a lot of times if, if they're, they're stuck and like they're going to have a problem, I'll say to him, look, if you need to drop off half a dozen pallets, right, bring them by me and then you go do whatever you're doing and then pick them up the next day to deliver them. I don't care. It's it, it doesn't really cost them that much and it saves a lot of what they do. So I do a lot of that, too, for people. It doesn't really make me a difference. Um, I've told many people, if you have an issue, like say it's 95 degrees in the summer and your reefers going out, right? You don't know what to do. I have, That's another thing I offer people. Bring it here. We'll strip it. Am I going to charge you the full rate? Absolutely not, right? Because you don't kick people when they're done. So I would say, hey, 
you know, bring it here. It's like $150, $200 for the overnight for a load, whatever it is. And then they can go get their thing fixed over at uh, whether it's Thermal King or whatever. And then they can get back on the road. Their, their company's happy because they found a solution to the problem because the goods on their truck are worth $50,000. So two dollars $300 or whatever it is, is not going to kill them. But if they lose the whole load, it will. Yeah, no, 100%. So yeah, that's an interesting use case for a cold storage. Again, all of these things, I've dispatched reefer trucks for years. Like I ran minus 10 ice cream, you know, across the country. I've run those frozen loads. And um, thankfully, you know, we never had a reefer breakdown under freight. But I never thought about that. You know, if your reefer breaks, what are you going to do at that point? And uh, now I've added that to my toolkit. So if I ever have a reefer breakdown, I'll be calling you if I'm in Chicago. I learned I learned that lesson when I said I had my my freezer was a trailer because there were times that I was on the phone with Illinois Central who fixed the Thermo Kings because it was a Thermo King and said my unit is down like I had nowhere to go it was everything that I owned was on that trailer and I had nothing else that was frozen everything else was a cooler so we would say okay we can't do anything today we need to leave the doors closed because we want the temperature to stay whatever it is. And they'd come out and they'd pull the whole thing apart inside of the garage and fix whatever it was. And hopefully it was fine. And that then I only lived in that building in that environment for about a year and a half. And then I said, I can't do that anymore. And that's when I moved to this place, which is, you know, about 25, 30,000 square feet. Yeah. I mean, I read somewhere, um, I was having a freezer issue where one morning I woke up and my ice cream was melted, you know, and this is just, you know, at your house, your fridge. Yeah. I read somewhere that if you put, um, a penny, you know, on top of a glass of ice, if your freezer ever breaks down, the penny will end up, you know, under, under the water. And I always thought, you know, that's like a good trick. You know, you could use that like in a bigger space, you know, you just put a cup that's frozen, a penny on top. The penny ever goes under the ice. Hey, you know, you had an issue somewhere with your freezer. Yeah, we use the internet. We have monitors <laughs> inside, and they record the temperature. So that yeah, yeah. Says, I mean, I'm sure there's the some, last thirty some days. I mean, I could hand them thirty six cents, but I would prefer to just give them the. Yeah, yeah I'm sure there's some more tech solutions besides yeah, a cup yeah. and a penny, but no. But you're right. I mean, it, it it is what it is, and it's it's you know it's always it's always a problem. I mean, power failures um, are a problem. Like when there's the storm storm season, right? Yeah. Did it go out? How long did it go out? How long can the box actually keep things frozen? You know, um, I don't know if you guys ever have problems with drivers like running out of fuel, like oh, yeah. turned off, yeah. we're out of fuel. Yep. Like, yep, yep, yep. Like, he ran out of fuel with the reefer trailer. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. He called me and said, Hey, the reefer's out of fuel. I like, how do you do that? How do you do that? Right. Right. Do you how often do you have people, John, that just call you from Google or say, Hey, I need an emergency cross dock or I got an emergency problem? Like, how how often do you just not as often you, as it used to be? Years ago it was a lot. You know, but a lot of people don't even call me. They just show up. Like today, wow. someone showed up and said, we were up at, um, who were they at? They were, I think, at Roundy's, maybe up in uh, in Minnesota. And they said a bunch of boxes got damaged, right? We need to, we, we, we got a backhaul. We can't have these on our truck. Like there's seven boxes that are completely destroyed. What do we do with them? I said, just bring them here. And then I'll call the people that run that truck and I'll say, okay, here's what it is. I'll send them pictures of what they are. And can they be used? Can they be salvaged? What are they? And we'll do something with them so that they don't know. Like right now they have 77 or 80, 90 pounds. It's a complete loss. So we'll see what we can do to recover something for them. I'll make some money selling them if they're still wholesome and good, but it is what it is because I have the facility to rebox, re-ice, right? And do whatever that is. So if anyone's listening and they have, they have a problem, they can just show up just show up at the facility they can call me they can call my cell phone number i'll give it out i don't care and they can say hey can you help me i have a problem i mean it's what it is i mean if everybody was just honest and worked together to, to get things accomplished everybody would have a much better a much better life it's you know everyone you know it's it's, yeah, it's I mean, just speaking easier of Honesty having, is yeah speaking of having good relationships uh this is one question i'm wanting to ask you this whole show um so you ever have people call you and say like, um, hey, I need to put stuff out of your cross dock. I'm having an issue with my broker, my load. Like, can I just cross dock the stuff at your facility? Like, you ever have like angry carriers just trying to like move on from a load calling you? I mean, no. it's reefer freight, so it's a lot. I guess that would be a lot less likely. Than no, that I've had be. angry carriers that are just angry in general that come and say, <laughs> like, I've been driving around this for three days. And they told me to bring it here because they don't have anywhere else to go. Yeah. So, so the like broker finds the place, it. it's like if they go to, I mean, 
it used to be preferred and now it's lineage or whatever. If they go there and they say like, we missed our appointment, we can't wait for five hours or six hours. You know what I mean? Because they won't make their next, whatever. There's, yeah. there's people that have done that over the years. I mean, it, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, as a dispatcher, you know, we have in our toolkit, uh, you know, we kind of threaten to do that, but we're not allowed to do that. Like I'll say, Hey, you either figure this out. I'm a crosstalk your freight, but I can't crosstalk the freight. I have to wait for the broker to find the crosstalk for me and okay it. But I mean, I'm sure there are carriers. Like I've heard the stories where like carriers have actually just cross dock loads. Like they've just found their own cross dock, put the freight, send the address to the broker. And said, well, one Here's of the guys, I, one of the one of the guys I actually do it for now, and and the company that I do it for, uh, we are tremendous partners at this point and have been for uh, 18, 19 years. It started about a year after I got here, and the driver I knew for probably almost 30 years, and he said that they were having him go somewhere else, but they would take him three hours to get like four pallets off. And he knew me and he said, can you just pull these off for me? And then this guy will come and pick them up. And I'm like, yeah, I could do that. And so it ended up that, I mean, not only did I know the driver, I knew the owner. And so the driver um, said to the owner, I'm just going to leave him over here with him. And he said, yeah, you know what? I never thought about that. Yeah, that's great. And so it saved them all. And whatever, 18, 19 years later, we're still doing it because yeah. it works. I mean, right? like for carrier cross docks, like, uh, you know, storage facilities for us, that's like, Worst case scenario, carriers view, you know, storage facilities just as a way to get off, a, a, you know, a trouble load, you know, can, hey, can we come put stuff out of your, your facility and move on from our freight and move on to our next load? And I mean, from a carrier point of view, we, we definitely view cross docks as like, that's our last resort. Like if they can't figure something out, hey, I'm going to the cross dock. That's kind of how we do it. Well, a lot of places only cross, but because I store, there was a guy three, four years ago um, that had a load that what he told the customer it was, it turned out not to be really any of what he said. It was a mixture of stuff the guy was buying for, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 cents. So it was a bunch of cheap stuff. And um, the guy rejected the whole load and it was a Friday afternoon. So he brought me whatever it was, 28 pallets. And then um, we ended up trying to sell some of that. But then the what, what worked out for everybody was we went through it and sorted it back out. So the original person that was supposed to get it had a good understanding and didn't have 28 pounds of all mixed up stuff. <laughs> right. That was just all yeah. over the place. We went through, sorted it, fixed it. And then said, so this is what you really wanted. And this is what he has besides. And then they made a deal for him to take what he was supposed to get. And then the other guy sold off the rest of whatever that was on his own, but at least they had a place to put it and we could do that. So you guys have dry storage too. I have some, I have enough probably for three or four loads, but, um, you know, no, I'm just keeping it in the back of my head in case I need a good cross stock. But I do that. I don't do I don't do it as often. I did it when the pandemic was around. I had a guy that brought in like seven loads of uh, sanitizer and had yeah. nowhere to put it because they wanted the containers back. It came from overseas. So I stored it all um, for them so that and let me tell you, it moved very, very slowly, slowly, slowly. The first the first year it moved very, very quickly, but then uh, they rebought it and then it did move very, very slowly. Yeah. Talk about that too. I mean, if somebody just leaves their product, you know, forever at your facility and they don't. disappears, they don't they they don't. problem too, right? You know? No, they don't. People don't leave it. They don't leave it. They have there's records of it because everything gets received. And then every month you're getting a bill saying you still have this here, you have to pay your bill. Right. I mean, some of them, I mean, if if you leave a pallet and say your bill is like you have two pallets and it's fifty dollars. For the month you're we're gonna chase after you to get the money even though it's only fifty dollars but we're gonna chase after you to get the money and say you still have this here don't you want it i mean some of the loads that are really a pain in the ass is if a guy says i want to bring a container the first thing now that i ask is how many items are on that container because i've had it where someone says yeah i'm gonna bring a container i'm like okay so it'll be 28 pallets no it's like 60 pallets because he's got a couple hundred of these couple hundred of these couple nothing is mixed i mean nothing is matched together so it takes up a, a tremendous amount of space because nothing can be on top of each other. So we have a hard time tracking down people on paying their paying their bills with the whole freight economy and the way no. the economy is. No, that's a good. I, I you deal, have customers. There's 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 a couple, um, one of which you know I'm sure, um, but even at the end of the day, they're I know them. They're still good people. Um, I don't think they do it on purpose. I think they just get lazy. But they'll, people pay. I mean, they they understand, right? Like, 
I've got a guy right now that I said, you need to pay me. And he said, okay, because next week he's going to need me. And if he doesn't pay me, then he needs me to do something. And I say, I can't. Well, now what are you going to do? Is there any law regarding that? Like, is there any certain X amount of days without payment where the product becomes yours or X amount of days? Yeah, I can have a, I, I can, I can have a contract. I mean, I tell people verbally, like, it's okay. You don't have to pay me. I can sell your product for more than yeah, you owe me. I have 20, you know, 30 grand I, of your product sitting in my warehouse. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, if I, the, the truth is, I'm sure there's some crazy laws that I can't do that. But if I put it in the newspaper and say, I'm going to sell this product for this amount of money, if this person doesn't pay me and I list it or whatever, like any other thing, you know, or if I send letters or emails or whatever and say, this product is in lieu of this, I can or can't, I mean, I, I've never had to do that. Yeah. Thank God you've never had say, to like, do that. Yeah. I mean, it's, you don't want to, but no, I the truth is, is you want like, the space, uh, I want the space back. I, I thought care. about it like storage wars, you know, where they, they just, <laughs> they're just selling people's stuff out of the storage. Yeah. Room. That's kind of crazy. I mean, in the end, you know, you might end up with a safe that has nothing in it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like yeah. you said, you don't want the money, the 50 bucks a month. You want two pallets of space back from here where the space is more valuable. For exactly. Them, because I can rotate that space. I mean, that's all I have is that's, that's my finite thing is yeah. I can't create more space than I have. And if I'm always at a, between 90 and 110%, I don't want to, I don't want to be at 120% because I got some dead wood sitting there. I mean, we go through the freezer like once every six months. And even if I have my own stuff in there, I'll say like, I don't think that's going to move. And I'll either dump it for less than I paid for it and get rid of it. I just dumped probably about eight or 10 pallets in the last couple of weeks because the end of the year is coming. I need to get rid of it. I want the space back. I don't want to have to sit and count it every other week. So yeah, I mean, Mark Twain said, you know, buy real estate because they've stopped making it. Like, there's only X amount of, of real exactly estate right. in the world. So. It's the, one of the only finite things. So. No, it's def definitely an interesting, interesting business. Are you, do you, is it, are you seeing that there's less and less space for cold storage? I know the East Coast had a problem, uh, what, about six months, a year ago, there wasn't much space. Are you seeing that there's still a, a space issue uh, across I cold think there's, storage? I think there's always going to be a space issue. I think that it's, it's going to be a problem that, does not ever go away because people want to store stuff. I mean, I'm going to jump away from cold storage for a minute. If you look at how many storage places they're making for people to put their shit, like your, your household stuff, look in any city now, it's tripled or quadrupled. Even by me, I mean, self-storage, self-storage, two levels, three levels, four levels. I mean, people just are crazy about storing things. Like, I don't know, is it for the future I mean, food has a shelf life, so you can't like leave it for ten years and say, "Yeah, I'm going to eat that turkey sandwich." But, um, but I think that 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 inherently, it, like even you can manufacturers like it better frozen because they can say, "We're going to make X and know that it's going to have 24 months basically to go from when we made it to be completely consumed." So that gives them a pretty good window of what they're doing. It helps them eliminate some of the overruns they're doing. There used to be a lot more jobbers out there that would, you know, like that would say, like, I've got this because it was excess production. There's a lot less excess production than there used to be. And I think that there's so many people out there that need food that that, that all of them are busting at the seams. I mean, I've got the, the food depository down the street from me and they are almost always full and they give away every day. I mean, they give away millions of pounds a year. Right. Millions. Like I think they're up to like between 100 and 110 million pounds a year just for the one county in Illinois, Cook County. And that's a lot of product that has to move in and out through a warehouse like that. I mean, are you thinking of expanding based on how the need of storage? You thinking I was thinking of, uh, of expanding in my 40s and in my 50s. I was rethinking it. Now that I'm in my 60s, I'm double rethinking it. Um, about eight months ago, I was rethinking it. Um, I'm going to revisit that by the end of the year. See where I'm going to go. So it would be a good business if someone was looking for a business idea. I mean, I'm sure it's a lot of work owning a cold storage, but it's, you know. It's, it, yeah, it is it is and it's not. I mean, you can make it. Like I said in the beginning, my background was in doing containers that came in off the rail. <clears throat> so that part of it for me is very natural. I completely understand it. And it makes it, it's always made it easier for me to do. It was, I don't know if people remember when, um, when um, Builder Square was around, it was a, precursor to uh, Home Depot and it was owned by Kmart and they called a guy I worked for. Do you, you remember those guys? 
they called those guys and said, uh, a guy that I know and said, uh, we've got like 500 containers and the people that were supposed to pull it off the rail and store it and, and redistribute it for us, uh, went out of business. So they had nowhere to go. So the guy that I worked for knew the customs broker. He said, we have a warehouse. And that's where I got that learning from because we brought in 25, 30 containers every week for like three or four years. And it took a long time, but we cleared up that whole issue that they had. And then we all, we did the inbounds on that. And then we did the outbounds um, going to all of the builder squares all around the country by just building those loads. So that for me, was a great learning experience and taught me a lot about the freight business, the trucking business. And let me tell you back then, everybody that had a truck would call me and say, how much can we pay you to give us these loads? <laughs> I made zero dollars, zero, zero dollars. It wasn't, it wasn't worth playing with, but it was, it was an interest. It was an interesting learning experience. And then they, of course, Kmart and, and Builder Square went out of business. You got a wealth of a uh, wealth of knowledge. You've seen, uh, you've seen and heard and a lot. Well, we, we really appreciate you coming on John and, you know, talking about your experiences and thanks, um, man. You know, and nice to meet you, Alex. Yeah, nice to meet you too. And like I said, uh, I'm going to keep your name and the number in the back of my mind if I ever sure. need. To and I don't know if you guys or... post things on your on your thing, but if you want to, you can certainly post my cell number. Don't post my office number. I don't answer the phone there anymore. <laughs> it's a waste of my time. There's too many people that call. But if someone has my cell number, they can call me. And if there's something they need help with or they want to ask me a question or something in and around Chicago or wherever, it makes me no difference. Yeah, so if we summarize it, cold or dry, mostly cold. Mostly cold. I would say 90% cold. Yeah, mostly. Right, but if somebody even needs to come and, like, say, hey, we need to park something for a few hours. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. We can go do something like the intermodal guys used to say, can we drop a trailer, right, drop it, and then go make two more picks, come back, and, like, it'll be sitting here. Because a lot of carriers that I know with, like, you know, I'd say one, two thousand trucks between all of them put together based in Chicago – um, you know, they could use that service for like a two, three hour kind of thing, you know. Like, right. hey, can we stop, stop the I have a couple of guys that do it now. They're like, we have to do this, but we can't have that frozen freight on because we're dealing with some fresh. We have to go pick up and deliver. So if they drop it off at 10 in the morning, they pick it back up by two o'clock. It's no big deal. Yeah. No, like I said, it was really nice to talk to you. Nice to meet you. And uh, if I can ever, you know, help you out or if I can ever take advantage of your service myself, I uh, will definitely be there. Great. Appreciate that. Well, thank you. Thanks again, John. Matt, always good to talk to you. Stay well. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, hey, thanks stay, again, John. Stay chilly. Keep everything cold over there. That's, yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. Another month, everything will be cold over here. <laughs> Have a good day, John. Yeah, Have guys, a good day. Thank you. Take care. Well, I was a. Uh, I was good. It was cool hearing. Uh, I've talked a lot to, with John on the phone. You know, when I was a broker and you know dealing with him on a weekly basis. But he's really a. It was cool to go deeper into kind of what he does in his operation. I mean, he's got really a wealth of. Wealth of yeah, knowledge. He's just like a that. super nice, like calm, chill guy. Um, yeah. A lot of these things you don't think about. You know, like I've been running reefer freight for years, and I never thought, like, what if my reefer breaks down? Where do I put it? What if this, like, you know, there's so many of these situations you just don't think yeah, well, about. If, you, if you're in Chicago, you got a uh, you got a guy, but um, but yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a uh, it's cool to see it. You know, see all that goes into it. So, and he's you know always a it's cool too for drivers. I mean, he you know I know he doesn't have detention. You know, he's believes in getting trucks in and out fast um yeah got a good good smooth operation yeah, yeah I like what he said where like if the truck breaks down he's not gonna kick them while they're down he's gonna give them like the cheapest possible you know rate to just to help the people out and i mean if i'm ever in chicago area which i might be at some point i want to go see his like fish operation <laughs> i want to see all these fish getting processed like. so i mean i guess that's it man episode 11 in the books and uh i guess we'll be back at it next week yeah sounds like a plan Take it easy, bro. All right, take it easy. Bye.